0: Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM,
1: one oh five FM in Poloquane. So we touched base with almost everybody and the sector we decided to touch base on uh, with today is the luxury sector. Um, because COVID-19, as I said, you know, is, is choosing to, it's not picking. It just goes wherever it goes and it has affected many in different industries and this is one of one such industry. Vika Shapalana is the founder and CEO of VBS Luxury Group. She's a consultant in the luxury space. She joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon, Vika, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Tamera. How are you doing? Well, we're good. You know, there is this assumption, Vika, that rich people are always going to be rich people, you know, COVID or (laughs) no COVID. When there is a depression, rich people are always rich. How is the sector responding to COVID-19? Has it affected it in in a way that is difficult to deal with? I think it has.
2: I I think, obviously, the luxury sector is quite broad, but um, within the subset, within the sector, definitely... Everybody has felt the impact of COVID in one way or another. So whether you are in tourism, whether you're in retail, um, whether you are in, I don't know, travel or my business, which is consulting and experiences, Mm -hmm. experiential marketing, um, we're definitely feeling the, the pain of this season.
1: It's interesting because as I, again, you know, when, when people think about luxury, you think about brand names and, and that one hardly thinks about the backbone of the business and the backbone of the business generally are people who are the people who make the specialized textiles, are the people who make the experiences happen and, and those are the guys on the ground. And yeah, we're not talking about how that industry shutting down in a sense and one would think of hotels for argument's sakes has yeah. been has been affected. Big time. I mean, you can imagine
2: having hotels closing down for this long, um, the amount of people that need to be laid off, um, the amount of changes that need to be made, even when the hotels reopen, because, you know, people will be skeptical about going to just, you know, go on a luxury retreat or whatever it is. Mm. So there's going to be a huge impact on, on staff. On salaries, on yeah. on a lot of things, and and the running cost of running, you know, whether it is a boutique hotel or, or yeah. a big hotel group, um, there are huge cost implications to to not to shutting down even for a day.
3: Yeah,
2: Vika,
1: you know, you 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 use the word experience when you spoke about yes. your business. Experience was all about people, right? It's oh there, yeah. It's there is the branding of uh, either. A a clothing, piece of clothing or a bag or a hotel or whatever, which is the the aesthetics. And then there are people who make the experiences happen. So who make those things come alive in times where we are not even supposed to be hugging our family members. What does that mean for your business?
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) It, I mean, we, we've we literally had to shut down. The last event we did was the um, uh, Black Coffee Luncheon on the 15th of March. Yeah. And we've literally shut down since then. Um, there's been a huge impact on my staff, yeah. on, on my business. Yeah. Um, and as we speak, we're busy re-strategizing. So um, the one you know, sort of innovative idea we've had to come up with is at-home experiences
3: Mm. um,
2: where people sort of have small, private, intimate experiences because there are still celebrations that people and milestones that people want to have. Mm -hmm. So you'd have that at home. um, And then the only other side of the business that's really sort of okay is strategy and and PR Mm -hmm. because a lot of that doesn't involve the touchy feel. But from an experiential standpoint, certainly the type of experiences we used to do, Mm. um, I mean, we've had to forget about that. Um, And I think we will forget about that until next year. So we've sort of now adjusted ourselves to be more strategically strong and more strong in terms of PR consulting.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: from an experiential standpoint, we've even, you know, made some changes within the business to say there's a part of the business that's being taken over by my partner and she'll run with it because actually I just don't see a future in that whole experiential side mm-hmm. for a while. So mm-hmm. we've had to adapt and come up with uh, with other things that we'll do during this time. So it's it's been, it's been tough. Um, there are people who are innovating, and, and I think it's impressive to see. But I think also for me mentally, mm. this time has just meant that I need to go within and think not only six months or twelve months, and think longer term. What's the impact of COVID? Mm. And for that reason, I'm making a couple of pivots and and going in different directions. Still within luxury, yeah. but certainly moving away from experiential because. Um, that
1: that is a risky dependency at this stage. Isn't that interesting? How and, and and it boggles the mind that so much has changed since your last event, which was just the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it was just now. Just <laughs> and and when you look at those images and what we're currently facing, and you think such different worlds, and this was yeah. just hardly six months ago. I'm telling you, I mean,
2: it was just, what was it, two and a half months ago? It is is interesting to think that it will be a while before we are able to have something like Like that that. again. Um, And to think that, you know, now we have to go virtual, Hmm. um, we have to go small, you know, not more than... 10 or 20 packs, or whatever it is. No, you can forget about that party in the next, I mean,
1: in the next year, two years, we can forget about it it. in the
2: next. That's what I said. I said, at least up until December. Wow. Um, I wouldn't think about doing anything like that again.
1: Let me let me bring in my other panellist, uh, Fred Epoca, who has been around for a while and, and has seen some ups and downs because, you know, there's today we're talking about COVID, but there was a time when, for instance, um, counterfeit goods were all over the place and everybody was wearing stuff that looked like it's the real thing, but wasn't quite the real thing, which affected the luxury business in a massive, massive way. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. How has COVID affected your business?
0: Oh, good afternoon. Um, Obviously, I mean, uh, this is very global. And South Africa is not uh, uh, special in this. But Mm. uh, the whole fashion schedule has been disrupted greatly. Mm. And um, the thing, though, is that I think uh, it's time to actually reimagine how we look at fashion business. Just like you mentioned um, that after depression um, or during depression, that wealthy people um, certainly still have their money. But now they still have their money. But what is really uh, very disrupting about this time is that <laughs> they can't go out to spend the money. Hmm. So whether you have the money or not, if you have no occasion to attend, then it becomes really, really difficult. And also if there's a health uh, issues to it, you know, and um, but what is really surprising is that what I'm actually keeping track of happening in the world of fashion is the fact that about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, Chanel actually increased the price they have on their goods, Really? so I don't know what
3: wow.
0: uh, actually uh, motivated that, you know, <laughs> and so and I'm hoping that uh, all the people in my shoes uh, would probably use this time to think less about the challenges and find a way to uh, navigate through it, hoping that um, at the end of the tunnel, there has to be mm. the light of a train coming aboard. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, fashion world is what it is. It's mm. very finicky on its own. Mm. Um, what I... Personally, what I'm looking uh, towards, though, is I-, I think that South Africa will not be the same again, and the world will never be the same again. Africa will never be the same again. And what that means, though, is that we have to be a little bit more independent in production. Mm-hmm.
3: You know?
0: or we-, we have to now start, re- totally start re-engineering uh, mm-hmm. our, uh, what our economy is based on. Mm -hmm. And all our education and all our imagination about our country and economy has to be on production. And that is what I would like to see from the government's strategic plan Mm -hmm. uh, after COVID-19. Because otherwise, uh, these sort of challenges, uh, it's something that is going to be more frequent in the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we cannot be caught unprepared as we have now.
1: Justin Schaefer is a creative director at Cape Cobra Leather Crafts. Now, they've been actually around for a very long time. The only difference is that you may not know them because they are in exactly what Fred is talking about, in production. Okay, So though they make the stuff from scratch for big brands. And what I find really interesting about this model is something that somebody has been talking about recently. In fact, some of the industry players have been talking about this globally to say it's time for countries to look, within and look within and check what what sets them apart from the other so instead for instance for South Africa to compete with China and India on, on production of, of mass scales maybe look at what we can do very well we've got crops people who are experts in what they do who maybe if we looked at and some of the products that we offer there is something there so Justine they manufacture leather goods, some are bags, some are belts and those kind of things and when, when I tell you that they manufacture for the biggest brands in the world. I really mean it, Justine. Thank you so much for making the time to
4: talk to us. How has your business been keeping up? Thank you so much for having me. First of all, um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of months. It's the first time we've ever had to close our factory, yeah. um, other than a summer holiday, you know. So it was quite scary to let our staff go. Um, I mean, we've been around since 1972, and as you've said, we've manufactured for some of the top brands in the world like Tiffany and Co, mm. Michael Kors collection, etc. and we employ 65 people um, people at our factory in Cape Town. So it it was very scary to to kind of step into the unknown and not know where how we're going to come out of this this shift in I mean everything, you know? Like luxury sector will never be the same, manufacturing will never be the same, wholesale will never be the same. So it's a scary scary time for everyone. Um, So we're kind of taking it day by day, definitely, um, trying our best and, you know, just staying strong for the people that we employ. Hmm.
1: Vika, let me come back to you because strategically, I suppose you guide these brands, right? And And to help them sort of look at the future differently. And as I yeah. said, one of the things that I was hearing was that South Africa, for instance, specifically South Africa, needs to look within. You've got yeah. craftsmen who are really, really good at what they do, you know, who, who do those um, bespoke pieces like nobody yeah. does, right? So maybe we should look within and and enhance yeah. those people who bead and whatever and those kind of things. But,
3: yeah. but
1: you know, if if I'm going out less, I'm probably going to buy, and I've already seen it, if I'm going out less, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to buy fewer of those outfits than I would have if I was going out more, even if I enjoyed the brand. So what is the future going to look like going forward? How are we going to consume luxury going forward? So it's interesting you say that
2: because that was always my first assumption that um, people will be more conscious, they will buy less. yes. They were, but but it hasn't quite been the case. If you look at, for example, what's going on in China right now, and okay. the and the queues we were seeing outside Louis Vuitton and Chanel. So, yes. what we have is we have a very strong online situation happening yes. where people have Instagram platforms, yes. they have TikTok, etc.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, luxury consumers have even more of an opportunity to show off mm. now because there's a the captive audience. So. What I'm seeing is that you've got people split down the middle. Mm-hmm. So you've got the people who are going, "I'm going to shop as soon as those stores open," and mm-hmm. I saw it at the Diamond Walk. Okay, yes, there were yes, queues at yes. Gucci and Louis Vuitton. You yes. couldn't get in. Yeah, um, and they will show off on their Instagram or mm-hmm. whatever platform that they use. Okay. So there's that part, and then there's the people who have had a, a an awakening around consciousness and the environment and our impact and overconsumption, and yep. that's where the huge opportunity is particularly for made in africa brands mm. so we are in a unique position in terms of our craftmen, uh, craftsmanship um, the heritage how we make our products yep. a lot of consumers now want to know the story mm. behind the brand they mm-hmm. want to know how it's made who's making it what is the impact on the community? So Justine mm-hmm. mentions that she's got 65 people that work for her. Mm. More and more luxury consumers want to know who are those people that are handing those bags. And so they buy based on a, a real connection to the fact that these are ethically made. Yeah. Or there are people. Who, there's communities that are being impacted. So there's a huge opportunity for luxury brands to really just hone in on who they are. You know, so are you about the outward exterior? Yeah. You know, flashy, etc. Yeah. In which case, there is a tribe for you. Yes. Or are you about sustainability? You mm. know, giving back, etc. But the brands have got to tell their stories online, and make sure that they've got their e-commerce yep. sorted out. So, for me, I'm very hopeful that mm. actually we, we there's not going to be. Yes, we're going to see the dip. That mm. is the reality of life. Mm. But people will consume, and they'll consume now, knowing exactly. Consciously. Who they, yeah, and yeah. so the brand, the more they can decide, like, this is who, who my target is, yeah and communicate to that target audience in a compelling way, online newsletters, storytelling, I think there's a huge, huge upside, particularly for retail.
1: Fred, I mean, that has always been your hallmark, right? Has that worked for you? Is that storytelling being true to who you are, where you come from as a brand, done you any good? Hello. hi I was saying that storytelling that authenticity yeah. that the identity that you've had to hold on to for for dear life for a long time is that yeah. setting you apart is it working what vika is talking
0: about now is that the yeah, thing ab- that's abso- actually working absolutely. For you? she she she's totally right on the bottom yeah. because when you talk about luxury brand really um its it's it, it actually one of the most important thing talking about luxury brand I mean brand is actually um, the time it has taken you to acquire the knowledge, the service, and the real estate positioning um, at the Booker House, you know uh, w- what actually worked for us now is the fact that um, we we're a little bit ahead of our time yes. when we start thinking about uh, where we place our new signboard and by choosing something and associating the kind of brand something is where you have collection of all other brands, really makes it um, a little bit easier for us to be accessible and get the kind of service that you will expect in a luxury brand. Because what is going to happen to luxury brands, in my opinion, in the future, is that it's going to become more national than global. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I I think that people are probably going to change their habits a little bit. Mm because they're going to start looking inwards, they're going to start thinking, uh, we, we need to look inward, we need to be proud of what we make in South Africa or what we make in Africa. Mm-hmm. But that, the question is that we have to position ourselves in such a way that we really have the credential and the environment for the kind of service that the South African wealthy people are used to. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to pull that off, then I think the future will be incredible. But another uh, important point that I wanted to make Mm -hmm. is that because we're in in a developing economy, Mm. there is an opportunity for... Because, look, policies change mentality.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. And there's an opportunity for the government to kind of interfere Mm -hmm. in the way just the total narrative of luxury goods. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to Italy, every time I'm in Italy, for instance, or in France, and you talk about any product, the French people will mention the French product. They yes. don't mention Italian products. I remember once I was in Italy, yes. and I was trying to yes. buy a shoe, yeah. and I was asking about... A uh, comparison, yes. And the Italian guys even didn't want to talk about Spot the, the French manufacturer at all. You know, so there's there's a sense of awareness, a very educated uh, uh, clientele in, in in Europe that we don't have in Africa yet. And I think this is a rare opportunity for us to turn it's that around. It's national
1: pride, Fred. We've got a lot it's of work to do. It's national pride. Absolutely, it's national absolutely.
0: Pride. So that is what we should be thinking about. This is a rare opportunity for us to actually ingest that.
1: Let me quickly it's go true. to Justine, and then sorry, I've got to cut you there, Fred, because of time. Justine, okay. then, and maybe Vika, you will also respond to the same question. Does that mean that suddenly you may have to consider building your brand? Case a Cobra, instead of doing the same thing you've been doing for brands that are not here.
4: Justine? Definitely. I mean, that's something we actually started doing probably about two years ago. And just before COVID hit, we had shown in New York and we were actually, yeah. we just secured our first really big order with a, a big department store and then everything kind of fell apart. Yeah, so I think sure. for me, the first point is luxury. We don't mass produce, you know, yes. we produce small numbers, yes. small runs very special specialized we're using south african materials we're beneficiating south african materials we're adding value in south africa and um i think you know if you compare it to what's out there in italy and in france and stuff it's the same quality product mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i think this whole COVID situation has made people look into the storytelling into like I mean, we're behind-the-scenes kind of people. You yeah. know, we like to make, make the yeah. bag and that's it. It yeah. forced me to, to pull out my Instagram live feed and take people on a tour of our factory mm-hmm. and show them what we can do. And I think the message for me, just to South Africans, is to start supporting South African-made products. It's going to be a very difficult time yeah. in the next couple of years, and everyone that creates a job in South Africa deserves that support from from fellow South Africans. So it's just about thinking about what you're purchasing, purchasing um, from an educated perspective, and and support local businesses. I think that's going to be one of the, the... the most important things that we can do for our country Thank and for the people of our country. Thank
1: you, Sir Justine. I've got to let you go there. If I can just quickly, how, how do we not lose these skilled workers that are suddenly who've gone back home because there was a lockdown and the reality is that they were not able to go and source material, they were not able to bead and so on. I'm worried about those women who are in rural areas who we actually need as part of this service providing luxury space.
2: Well, I mean, I think the onus is on the brand Mm -hmm. to go and find them. It's it's up to the the creators to go and find those people because, like everybody's saying, that's what's going to set you apart. There's a big movement for Made in Africa now. Mm -hmm. And if you look across the continent, that is the big hashtag for luxury brands who are made in the continent. That's what we're pushing. And what does set African brands apart from the rest of the world is that there's just no craftsmanship like what is, can be made by the African hand, okay. uh, whether it is weaving, whether yeah. it is beadwork, whether it is, you know, just making the most exquisite fabrics. Mm-hmm. And we've got to take pride in that. We've got to go to the rural communities, whether it's in South Africa, in mm-hmm. Kenya, mm-hmm. in Côte d'Ivoire, wherever it is, and make sure that that artisanal, mm-hmm. that you know, that really traditional way of making mm-hmm. becomes the thing. Because actually, if you think of, of all luxury brands, yeah. That's what that's makes it. Yeah. It's the craftsmanship. Yeah. It's the quality. And if it's handmade, you can even charge more. So that's what we need to do.
1: Vika Shabalana, thank you so much for joining us and for being a part of this conversation. And thank you thank to you all, you all so my other panelists as well. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Justine Schaefer is a creative at Cape Cobra as well. And Fred Iboka, who is the founder of the House of Iboka. Thanks, everybody. It's just gone two o'clock. Let's go to Itsila to Sako for the latest in SABC News.